A Lockheed L-1011 TriStar takes off from Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and a fire is discovered in the cargo hold. It lands safely, yet all 301 persons on board die as a result. What happened? And what can we learn about leadership and cultural challenges in high-risk industries? Come on board as we discuss the human factor. fourth podcast in my new series The Human Factor, where we discuss aviation incidents and accidents, delving into what happened and seeing what we can take away from it, not just for aviation, but for other industries and also into the rest of our lives. Today we look at Saudia Flight 163, a scheduled Lockheed L-1011 TriStar flight from Riyadh to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia on the 19th of August 1980. The flight departed for its first leg from its origin of Karachi in Pakistan and stopped in Riyadh without any issues. Departing Riyadh was 287 passengers with a wide range of nationalities, many of whom were on a pilgrimage to Mecca, and they were looked after by 14 crew members. In the flight deck was Captain Mohammed Kowatia, an experienced pilot but who had little experience on the TriStar, having flown fewer than 400 hours on type. Next to him was First Officer Sami Abdullah Hasnanain, a fairly new pilot who was very new on type, with only 125 hours on the aircraft. And lastly, Flight Engineer Bradley Curtis, who had been a pilot with the company but was let go for poor performance, transitioning to become a flight engineer. He too was new to the TriStar, with only 157 hours on type. Seven minutes after the aircraft took off from Riyadh, a fire alarm went off. It alerted the crew to the presence of a fire or smoke in one of the aft cargo bays. Any pilot will tell you that fire is the thing that scares us the most. The consequences could be so catastrophic and we have limited ways to deal with a fire while in the air. The crew of Saudi Air Flight 163 discussed the fire bell for quite a while and discussed whether they could continue the flight with it going off. They seemed to be quite keen to do so until the second fire detection system in the cargo bay went off. At this point, it seemed that the crew recognised that it wasn't normal, and the flight engineer attempted to find the right checklist for the situation. He decided that one didn't exist for a cargo bay fire, and went out of the flight deck to take a look to see what he could see in the cabin. When he was out, the captain was clearly sceptical about this decision, this lack of checklist, and had a look in the QRH, or the Quick Reference Handbook, himself, and he found the checklist that he was looking for. It is not, however, clear if this abnormal checklist was ever carried out. After Curtis, the flight engineer, returned to the flight deck and confirmed the presence of the fire as there was quite a lot of smoke in the cabin. This spurred the captain into confirming that they should probably return to Riyadh, although at no point did they declare either a Mayday or a Pan. So Mayday and Pan are the two types of emergencies that pilots can declare in the air. A mayday suggests imminent danger, and a pan suggests that they need some priority. And certainly if we have a fire, we would expect, in almost every instance, to declare a mayday. By this point, the fire had started to burn through the cabin floor, which resulted in, understandably, passengers panicking and trying to move forwards away from the rear of the aircraft. 
The cabin crew attempted to keep everyone calm, asking them multiple times to return to their seats and coming into the flight deck to explain the situation that it was filling with smoke and the passengers were panicking. Naturally, with flames licking around their ankles, the passengers were not all that keen. While the captain and, to an extent, the first officer seemed reasonably calm, it was clear from the cockpit voice recorder that the flight engineer was stressed. He kept repeating over and over, no problem, no problem. This despite the fact that there clearly was a problem. And while pilots need to be calm under pressure, the time for doing things leisurely really isn't when the aircraft is on fire. The captain and the flight engineer discussed whether they should declare an emergency to air traffic control, which never happened. They discussed whether they should alert the fire services in Riyadh, until the first officer, having taken a bit of initiative here, informed them that it had already happened. They didn't even ask air traffic control for preference to land. And as they were coming in towards Riyadh, they went through the normal checklists, not the emergency checklists, things that fundamentally did not matter when it came to a situation where they had flames coming up through the bottom of the cargo hold. At this point, more and more smoke alarms were going off and they seemingly ignored them. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, about how this happens. Indeed, the fire at this point had got so fierce that it was starting to melt the insulation around some of the engine cables, which meant that the number two engine, and of course the TriStar has three, wasn't working. They couldn't get the right power out of it. So they had a discussion about whether they should shut it down. Again, let's remember here that the aircraft is on fire. The cabin crew at this point were trying to put the fire out using the fire extinguishers that they had, Not that at this point it was helping at all. And at one point the flight engineer was heard to say, there's a fire? This is interesting, because of course he'd seen it with his own eyes. He'd gone out to look, and yet seemed entirely oblivious. The crew at this point discussed whether they should radio on and let Jeddah know that they weren't planning on going there. And again, we consider the fact that they are at this point on fire. The flight attendants are trying to calm the passengers down, as as would be expected at this point. Throughout the approach, all three of the flight deck had conversations which fundamentally weren't relevant to the situation at hand. It certainly appears from listening to the CVR that they didn't understand the severity of the situation. They didn't really comprehend the extent of the fire, or perhaps they were blinded to it. By panic, or a lack of training, and we'll talk about this all later. Indeed, at one point the flight engineer was heard to declare that there was actually no smoke, and yet this was patently untrue. One of the cabin crew came in, clearly aware of the situation in the cabin, and asked for permission to evacuate, and she was told that she could evacuate on the ground, a statement that in any other circumstance would have been quite funny. The approach continued... Again, still nobody had declared an emergency. And towards the end, the captain said, tell them not to evacuate. So the cabin crew were told that they couldn't evacuate the aircraft. 
The cockpit voice recorder cuts out at the point at which Saudi Air Flight 163 touches down. So no one really knows what happened after that. But it was a gentle rollout, an incredibly gentle rollout once they'd touched down. And they rolled along the runway for nearly three minutes while the fire engines tried to catch up with them because they were clearly on fire at this point. It took quite some time for the pilots to shut down the engines when they got on the ground. And at this point, there was fire coming through the top of the fuselage. The aircraft was clearly in an incredibly dangerous situation. Inside, the passengers all went towards the exits, the forward exits, of course, because the fire was at the rear of the aircraft. But at no point did anyone try and open the doors. Owing to how rare a real aircraft fire is, the firefighters at Riyadh had no experience of dealing with a genuine aircraft fire. Although they also hadn't had any practice in training for it. They didn't know anything about the aircraft. They didn't know how to open the doors. And as a result, it took quite some time, so 23 minutes after the engines were shut down, until the firefighters were able to open the doors. By this point, 301 people had been trapped inside an aircraft that was burning and filled with toxic smoke for over half an hour. The outcome was inevitable. But why did it happen? And what can we learn from it? As any regular listener will be familiar with, Saudi Air Flight 163 was yet again an example of the holes in the Swiss cheese lining up. It's interesting that, of course, if the cargo fire had never happened, and we don't know the cause of the cargo fire, it, speculation is rife, but we'll never know the cause of the cargo fire, and fundamentally that doesn't matter. But if that fire had never happened, then a lot of the other issues and a lot of the other learning points that came out of this disaster would never have raised their heads. All three of the flight deck had a fairly checkered training history. They'd all failed a number of simulators and failed them fairly spectacularly. Indeed, the flight engineer, as we discussed earlier, had failed his so badly that he was taken offline as a pilot and was forced to retrain as a flight engineer if he wanted to keep his job. Yet we almost have to trust in the system with this one. If all of them were deemed competent by their airline of meeting standards, then they should have been competent to deal with the situation. And anyone who meets the required standard could have a bad day. We all have bad days where our performance is not where it should be. So while the training and the quality of the pilots, as it were, is perhaps a contributory factor, I certainly don't think it's the main factor here. The fact that none of the crew recognise the severity of the situation is fascinating. And there's a concept called inattentional blindness, which really demonstrates this. The invisible gorilla experiment, which I'm sure some of you will be familiar with, is an experiment conducted by a number of psychologists where a gorilla is seen to dance across the middle of a video. But because people watching it have been asked to focus their attention on something else, 
Most of the time they don't even see the gorilla. So something really significant can happen and people will not notice it. In this instance, it seems that all three of the pilots, while they understood that they had a cargo smoke warning and they understood that the cabin crew was saying there was a fire, they didn't really put the two together. They didn't comprehend the severity of the situation. Not only were they in this instance demonstrating this concept of inattentional blindness, of not being able to see what was fundamentally right in front of their faces, but they were also suffering from confirmation bias. They had produced that mental model that we've spoken about before of what was going on, and they made the situation fit their mental model. Well, of course it was just smoke, because they had a smoke warning, and they managed to reset it. But the reality was there was smoke in the cabin, there was fire in the cabin. And despite the fact they were being told, they just didn't have the capacity or perhaps the ability to see what was going on and to understand quite how severe and hugely time critical this situation was. The culture of the airline and of the crew was quite an interesting one. In Saudi Arabia in 1980, there was certainly a culture of deference to somebody who was in authority, to age and authority. And this meant that there will have been a cultural challenge for the flight attendants when they were told by the captain that you can't evacuate. And this isn't the first time this has happened in aviation, and I'm sure... In other industries, it's happened multiple times, but there's a almost a weighing up of somebody's drive for survival, their physical, innate drive to save themselves, and the cultural norms within which they've been brought up of deference, of the fact that somebody more senior must have more knowledge. And the fact that we have a captain here and an awful lot of crew who will have been in that culture, means that those cabin crew, those flight attendants, had a real challenge to overcome a direct instruction of not evacuating, despite the fact that that directly led to their deaths. And these cultural challenges feed into an awful lot of life. They feed into so many aspects of of what goes on in the everyday considering somebody's background, considering why somebody might have reacted the way that they did, and perhaps whether it is a cultural issue, is really quite important. And when it comes to high-risk industries, when it comes to something like aviation, to an extent this can be trained out, that people can overcome that cultural concern of challenging somebody more senior. Because if we think about pilots on the flight deck, it's really important that they're able to challenge each other. Regardless of who is nominally more senior or more experienced or older or whatever it happens to be, they need to be able to challenge because they may not have the same information. And there's nothing to say that the individual who is more senior is the one who's right. And as I say, this this really does um, bleed into an awful lot of life, and, and you see it all over the place, that, that cultural issues are a factor. But you can train people to speak up. You can train people to understand the situation. 
But in order to train them, you need to be aware that that cultural issue exists. In the case of Saudi Air Flight 163, I think there was also an issue of leadership, or more to the point, a distinct lack of therein. The captain undoubtedly will have felt stressed, will have felt panicked if he comprehended the situation. But there was no real leadership displayed, asking if he should return to Riyadh. Well, the aircraft was on fire, of course he should return to Riyadh. The clear thing to do here is to get the aircraft back on the ground. And yet he wasn't capable of making that decision. And having strong leaders is important. But those strong leaders still need to be able to be challenged. And we could see from Saudi Air Flight 163 that in a few instances it was the first officer who comprehended the situation better. Who understood that of course they should be calling the fire brigade because they were on fire. And it's a really interesting concept to consider here. That there is that kind of balance between leadership and challenge. An appropriate challenge and getting the right... We would use the term cockpit gradient, but that authority gradient of an individual who is in charge versus the others. Those others in any high-risk industry, and indeed in any low-risk industry, I would suggest, need to be able to appropriately challenge somebody in charge. Because just because they've got the experience does not mean that they're right. Saudi Air Flight 163 is such a sad story because it could so easily have been different. Had the crew got the aircraft on the ground a little bit quicker, and had they evacuated in good time, the chances are at least the majority of those 301 people would have survived. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please do subscribe, like and review wherever you get your podcasts. Next week we'll be talking about Colgan Air Flight 3407 and the real risks of fatigue.